If you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, as we, uh, Sherry, it's not helping me at all this morning, so there we go. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. All right, Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39, as we continue on looking at our, uh, at the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels and continue to read those things together. This morning we come to a uh, pretty common text. I, I think most of us have probably heard of the demon-possessed man, and when we think of this uh, this account of the life of Jesus Christ, what we probably think of is that it was Jesus taking the demons and casting them into the pigs. And as one of my Bible professors used to like to say, this is the first historical count of deviled ham. Um, but all jokes being aside, um, this is an important, um, an important account that we have in the Gospels, and we find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's important because it shows us a great deal about who Jesus Christ is and his power and his desire and his grace, but it also shows us a great deal about our needs. And to a great extent, it is one of the clearest pictures of what we are to do as believers once we have experienced the grace of God and have been rescued from sin. And so we're going to be looking at all of those things this morning. Hopefully by now, though, you found Luke chapter 8, and again, we're going to be looking, starting in verse 26 and reading through verse 39. So if you would please stand with me that we can honor the reading of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Then they, the disciples and Jesus, sailed to the country of the Gersenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned when the herdsmen saw what had happened they fled and told it in the city and in the country then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid and those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed and then all the people of the surrounding country of Gersenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might return with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, 
return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we come humbly, knowing that you are the God of all of creation, the one that set the stars in their places, that set everything in motion around us, who governs over our universe in great power and great majesty. And Lord, we see in Your Word Your great power not over the only the physical things that we can see and touch, but over the spiritual realm as well. Father, I pray that You would open our eyes this morning to things that are difficult for us to grasp and difficult for us to understand. Or that we might better know the God that we serve, the God that we love, that we may better know what we have been rescued from, that we may be better ambassadors of the great news that you have given us to proclaim. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Kind of set the scene here a little bit, though the story in and of itself is pretty straightforward. Just want to kind of draw out a few things that uh, maybe um, are not quite as clear. Um, but what, one of the things that we see here in this passage, this account, is that Jesus takes a bit of a detour. Up until this point in his ministry, Jesus has largely stayed in Galilee and the surrounding area and ministered to the Jews. And really, the Jews kind of understood that because for the Jews, they were like, yeah, the gospel's for us. Like anything that God does is for us. It's all about us. And so Jesus here, though, takes a moment and he steps into the boat and they cross the Sea of Galilee so that they can go to a Gentile land. And part of the reason we know it's Gentiles is because we know the, the geographical, uh, I can't talk today the geography of the place, but we also see the pigs that are there. And Jews were not allowed to eat pork, and they were also not allowed to raise pigs. And so we see it there that, that these were Gentile people that Jesus is crossing the sea to go to. And so he takes a little bit of a detour here out of his normal, uh, out of his normal ministry. We also see him come um, to a demon-possessed man. Now, this is not the first demoniac, this is not the first person afflicted by demons that Jesus uh, frees, that Jesus casts demons out of. But it is, it is um, a point here of the writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke to point out that this man didn't just have one demon, but he had many demons. The word legion is supposed to call to the mind of the reader the Roman legions that were made up of, thousand, uh, of a thousand soldiers. Certainly that is a, a direct and a meaningful overstatement of what is happening in this man's life, but uh, certainly we are to grasp that there is much more going on here than what we would maybe normally perceive. One of the other things that's important here that's not in your notes is to understand that as he, uh, as he casts these demons out, this is part of really four acts that Jesus does um, around chapter 8. 
um, to show that Luke and the other writers use to show the power of Christ over all things. You see, just before this account, you see the story of the disciples being in the boat and a storm coming and Jesus calming the storm and in doing so, showing his power over Mother Nature, over, over the nature, natural world that is around us. And then you see the, the, Jesus' power over the spiritual and casting out the demons of this man. And then when he returns across the Galilean Sea um, to the other side, he is met by Jairus. Um, whose daughter is sick. He goes to meet the daughter, to go see the daughter. On the way, um, a lady touches the hem of his garment, and she is healed, showing the power of Jesus over illness. And then, as he arrives to the daughter of Jairus, and she has passed away, he raises her from the dead. And so we see the power of Christ in this chapter of Jesus over the natural realm, over the spiritual realm, over illness, and over even death. So Jesus, the, whole, the totality of this passage is to, to proclaim the power and the deity of Christ. So he comes and he sees this demon-possessed man. The demons are even afraid. They proclaim who he is. They proclaim that he is, Jesus is the Son of God. And they are afraid because they know that he is the rightful judge over all of creation. And they are afraid of what he might do to them. And so they... They plead with him. He casts them into the pigs. We're not given really a clear understanding of why he allows that to happen. But he does, and they drive, the demons drive the pigs into the water, and there they drown. And after seeing this, you can imagine the farmers that are standing there whose pigs these are, and it, this was a devastating blow for them. I mean, you can imagine in one fell swoop, their entire livelihood is gone. And you can imagine that it wasn't just these farmers that were impacted, but it would have been the local economy that is just decimated by this experience. And as the Gentiles come back, the, the farmers go in and they proclaim what has happened and they, the, the townspeople and the, country, the people in the countryside come out to view. You can imagine that the, the carcasses of these pigs are still like washing up on the, to the scene and here's this guy that they have all been... Uh, worried about that they've all been afraid of and now he's in his right mind and he's sitting there and they're being told that this guy who just rode across the sea in a boat who's just stepped on the land has done all of these things and they are terrified they are absolutely terrified they don't know what to do with this guy what do you do with someone who can cast out demons from a man that no one else has been able to bind with chains what do you do with a guy that has just decimated your economy. What do you do with that person? And so they, they in some, with some understanding, they are terrified of Jesus, and they ask Jesus to go away. They ask him to come back, go back where he had come from, and Jesus, rather than forcing himself upon anyone, rather than, than arguing with them, Jesus gets back in the boat and he goes. But he doesn't leave them without hope, and we're going to get to that here in a moment. But we see this great fear of the Gentiles. Not a fear that leads immediately to belief, but a fear that actually causes them to reject him. So we have this, this scene that's set up. As we look at this, I want us to, in particular, look at three things. We're going to look at amazing grace that Jesus has here. We're going to look at a troubling real, some troubling realities that this passage exposes. And then we're going to talk a little bit about our story. 
So first, let's look at the amazing grace that we see here. Jesus knows what he is doing. He is God after all in human flesh. He knows what is coming. He knows the future in a way that we cannot. And he knows what his mission is. And part of that mission is to bring the gospel not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. And so what we see here in the detour that Jesus takes is a very clear picture that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that we no longer have to be bound by sin, but rather that we have a Savior who has come to set us free, that it is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It does not matter what cultural background you come from. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made in your past. It doesn't matter the skeletons that are in your closet. The grace of Jesus Christ is for you. And He proclaims it to the entire world. So grace is for everyone he, he makes this detour in part to make that point secondly though we see here that grace is for the individual i just said that you know jesus being god knows things that we cannot know he knows the future in ways that we don't know it because of his deity jesus knew that they were going to cross this sea into a dangerous storm and that it was for one guy it was so that one man may, may be set free now certainly he, was, he knew what that guy would do later. He knew the message that would be proclaimed from it. But he went so that he could show grace and, and free this man. That's an important thing for us to think about. That the grace of God comes for everyone, but it comes specifically for the individual who will place their faith and trust in Him. That Jesus died on the cross for you. That He worked out all of human history that you may hear the Gospel. That He planted you in the life that He did with the family that He did, with the community that He did, to have the life experiences that you have so that you may hear the truth and the love of Jesus Christ in your life. So that you may know grace. Yes, He cares for the whole world, and yes, He loves the whole world, but He cares for the individual. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every day that has been ordained for you. And He desires to have a relationship with you. So it is a grace. Jesus Christ shows us that grace is for everyone. He shows us that grace is for the individual. And He shows us that grace overcomes grace overcomes that the love of God and his desire to shower his riches and his blessings on those who cannot earn his favor knows no bounds what had this guy done what had this demon possessed man done to earn the favor of God what had he done to earn the favor of God what had he accomplished what good can you point to what great gift can you hold up 
to say this is why he deserved the grace of God. It is nothing. That's why it's grace. And the same goes for you and me. We have no ability to hold up anything in our life and say this is why I have earned favor with God. Rather, we come to God humbly like a child, Jesus says, trusting him that he gives us favor not because what we have done, but because he has proclaimed us his children. And it is a grace that overcomes all. Again, it does not matter. It does not matter the great evil that might be in your past. The great mistakes, the great sin that you might have committed. It does not matter the things that are in the deepest recesses of your heart that you would be afraid to tell anyone. You need to know, we need to remember this morning that grace overcomes all things. But why do we need such grace? Why do we need a grace that is for everyone? Why do we need a grace that, that drives down to the individual? Why do we need grace to, that overcomes all things? It's because there are, some, there are some troubling realities that we're faced with here as well. First, we see a troubling reality of the spiritual. That may seem kind of odd to you because we as Christians believe in spiritual things. And so it's a troubling reality. Why would I say that that's a troubling reality? It's a troubling reality more for the world than it is for us. The world has difficulty understanding the spiritual. And, and certainly that makes sense. It's not something that we can see. It's not something that we can test. It's not something that is easily defined. It is beyond our ability to completely understand. And yet, Scripture is very clear that there are things going around us in an unseen realm that impact us every day. I will be the first to admit that for most of my life, I did not give much heed to the spiritual things that go on around us. It wasn't part of my everyday thinking to think that there were things going on around me that I could not understand. We, we live in a culture and a time and a place that we seek to find reason for all things and to describe all things. And yet, as I have grown deeper in my walk with the Lord, and I pray the same for you, that as you grow deeper in your walk, the Lord is good and graceful to open our eyes to things. But the enemy wants nothing more than to keep us in the dark. The enemy wants nothing more than to just have us believe that it's not real. C.S. Lewis writes a, a wonderful work of fiction called The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read them, I would encourage you to go grab a copy. It is a work of fiction. But he makes some great points. And the premise of the book is that there is a demon who has been tasked to keep an individual in the dark to lead that individual down the wrong path. And this demon is asking uh, one of his superiors of how to do that, how to, to be most effective. And the superior demon speaks to the main one in the book, and it says this, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. 
the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. It may be a work of fiction that C.S. Lewis writes, but it is a, a truth that Satan wants nothing more than to convince you and I that he does not exist, that he has no power, and therefore he has nothing to worry about. And in doing so, he gets us to put our guard down so that when temptation comes, when difficulties come, when things of this world tempt us, that we have no way to combat it but rather we have become spiritually lazy so that when the time, those times of crisis arise, when those times of temptation arise, that we are unprepared. It is the great act of the enemy to think that we are safe all the time. He wants nothing more than for us to think of him as nothing more than a comic book figure, to think of, a, of him as a source of entertainment. You have not hard, you do not have to search very hard to look around our culture at the things that we watch, at the music that we listen to, at the art that we, we do to understand that our culture has, has made this something of a laughing stock. There is no spiritual, there is no Satan, there is no God, and all of these things have gone into the realm of myth. They are something to be mocked and laughed at. And Satan would have it no other way. So we have, for the world at least, a troubling reality of the spiritual. We see this individual who is cursed by these demons, who is controlled by them in ways that we cannot fully begin to understand. And with that, we see not only the reality of the spiritual, but we see the reality of evil. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but rather we fight against the powers and the evils of this world. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy, and there is evil. And it seeks to destroy I think it's interesting that Peter uses the analogy of a lion. Who does the lion eat? Who does the lion go after? He goes after the isolated. They go after the sick. They go after the one that can't keep up. This is one of the great reasons that we come together and that we fellowship as a church so that we may as brothers and sisters in Christ and as a family watch over one another to hold one another accountable to love one another to warn one another of danger there is strength in the church and yet the great temptation is to be like this man and as we are we are tempted and as we look at the world and as sometimes we are overcome, there's a great temptation for us to isolate ourselves, to draw away from the church in our grief and in our sorrow or in our troubles or in the chaos or in our doubts. Our temptation is to draw away and isolate ourselves and yet that is exactly where the enemy would have us. Rather, we should 
push farther into Christ. Hold on tighter to the brothers and sisters that He has given us. Open our lives to those that we know and trust who love us and who will speak truth into our hearts. To understand that we do have an enemy who would love nothing more than to lead the non-believer astray so that they cannot see the truth and nothing more than to discredit the believer so that they will not be effective. So we see the reality of the spiritual, we see the reality of evil, and we see the reality of our need. This is why we need grace that overcomes all things. Because all of us have a great need. In this man, we see the great need of of a man who has been possessed by demons, who is not able to control his own thoughts or his own tongue, a man that's not able to control his own actions. We see his great thankfulness at the end when Jesus cast out the demons that he is overjoyed to be in his right mind again, to be able to be a part of society again, to have relationships again, and yet he was not able to do that on his own. In the same way, there was no one else that could have helped him either. That there were others that that cared for him, that tried to protect him from himself, that they would bind him and try to keep guard over him so that he might not hurt himself. And yet, those people were not able to contain him. They were not able to control the demons that had a hold of him. Certainly, we can. it's not hard for us to imagine that this man had family that wanted nothing more than for him to be well. And yet, they could not do it. He could not do it as an individual. And they could not do it as his friends. He was lost. He was imprisoned in his own body. And he was in need of a Savior. He needed grace that could overcome. And in the same way, in the same way, you and I, each one of us, have found ourselves at one time or another under the bondage of sin. And there is nothing that you and I can do to free ourselves. We need grace. We need the love of Christ. Otherwise, we are doomed to an eternity of torment in a place that Jesus Christ calls hell. And it is, it is the rightful place of those that have sinned. It is the rightful place of those that have broken the law of God. And there is nothing that we can do to earn the favor of God once we are found guilty. And yet, the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is a Savior who has stepped out of all of heaven to put on flesh that He may live a perfect life and then voluntarily lay down that life so that He may pay the price for us. So that He may show grace. A a grace that is not deserved, but a grace that He shows out of the love of His heart for those that would believe in Him. A grace that overcomes all evil. A grace that overcomes all of our mistakes. A grace that sets us free to live the life that He has always designed us to live. We need Him. And yet, though we need Him, He calls us to great freedom. I love what we see here at the end of this account, at the end of this passage. It says that The Gentiles were afraid and they asked Jesus to leave. Jesus does not force himself upon them. He does not argue with them, but rather he gets the boat to go back. 
And the man, in verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might be with him. This man had been set free. This man had found his right mind. This man now could live life. And his response to it was, I desire to be with the one who freed me. I desire to follow the one who freed me. I desire to be with the one that has shown power over all things. I want to be with him. He has been given great freedom. But he is but Jesus' response is return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Jesus Jesus agrees to leave these folks, these Gentiles that are scared of him. He agrees to leave, but he does not leave them without hope. He leaves one that has been changed. And he commands that one, go and tell your story. The other Gospels record not just this. this Luke says that he goes away and he proclaims through the city how much Jesus had done with him. The other Gospels add to that that the people that heard it were astonished. Jesus tells this man, you go, you tell your story. You have work here to do. Philippians 1, chapter Chapter 1, verse 21 says this. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you understand the depths of Paul's heart there that should be the same cry that we have, that we have a great desire to leave this world behind and to know Jesus Christ and to be in His presence, to to be present in paradise with Him and with all the angels and all the saints that have passed before us, to be home. And yet, just as Jesus looks at this man and says, stay, He has looked at each one of us and said, not yet. Not yet. You still have work to do here. I still have things for you to accomplish here. And he gives us this great picture of what that is in verse 28. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Oh, believer, have you ever given it great thought of why you still have breath in your lungs and why your heart still beats? It is that you may declare the goodness of God in your life. So we must ask some questions. What did He save you from? Do you know those troubling realities that there is sin in our lives, that we were bond? bond servants we were slaves to that sin that we could not free ourselves and that we were in need of salvation do we know the depths of that do we know the depths of what we have been saved from do we remind ourselves of it on a regular basis do we know how he set us free do you retell the story of your salvation That you know that Jesus Christ saved you by grace through faith. Do you know and remember the people that were involved? 
Do you know the verses that he used? Do you know the life circumstances? It may, not, it may be that you don't remember a precise date, but you see what God has done in your life to grow you in maturity in Him so that at this moment you may, with a pure heart and with a clean conscience, say, yes, I believe in Him, I confess Him, and I obey Him. Do you know how He set you free? Are you able to communicate that? And then lastly... Do you know who he has left you here to tell? This man becomes, in many ways, the first missionary. He was born a Gentile in a Gentile world to which the Jews would have said the gospel can never come to them. And yet Jesus crosses the sea to free him so that he may go and tell all what God had done for him. God has placed you in Vandalia, in Bowling Green, in Ladonia. He's placed you in this community, with this church family, with your physical family. He's given you the exact story that He's given you. Your story is not like anyone else's story. And He has given it to you because He has kept you here that you may tell someone of the grace of God that is for everyone, that is for them, and that overcomes all things. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, our desire should be to be with Christ. Our desire should be to worship Him and, and to be in His presence love, but for, whatever re for a reason, He has told us, stay, be here. Not be in Africa, not be in Australia, though he may call you to those places. He has not called you home to heaven. He has said, you are here for a reason. Oh, that we would desire to know that and we would desire to share the story that he has given us with those we into contact with. To serve the church in the way that he has called us to serve. That we would be reminded of the great grace, the great love that he's bestowed upon us. Not we were favored, but because He loved us. This morning, if you're here and you've never known Him, and you would, you would connect with this guy that's possessed by demons and say, my life is not my own. I, I do things that I don't want to do. And I, at the end of my pursuits, I find emptiness. This morning, know that His grace is for you as well. It doesn't matter what, what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done or the things that you've thought. That He desires to know you in a relationship to set you free. That you may live life and live it abundantly, He tells us. If you don't know what that looks like, I'd love to talk with you about it. It's very simple. It's, it's forgiveness, asking for Him to forgive you, believing that He is the one who died on the cross, and then confessing Him as Lord, saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you would have me to go. That's it. Again, I'm, I'm here. I'd love to talk with you about that. But this morning, let us respond to God's Word as He would lead us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and, Lord, we cannot speak enough of your grace. Lord, that undeserved blessing of righteousness that you put on our account. It was not earned. It was not deserved. But, Lord, you have seen it fit to save us. Father, I pray that we would 
dwell upon that as we worship here at the end of our service, Lord, as we go through our week, Lord, that we would dwell on the, the great act of salvation that you have done in our lives and like the man in, in this account that we would desire to be with you and to, to spend more time with you and to follow you wherever you would go. I pray that we would have a desire to tell others, Lord, of the great grace that you've done in our lives and that we would tell them that they too can know grace, that they too can know freedom and salvation. Or that that would excite us, that it would move us. Or that we would be about those things until you do come again or until you call us home. Father, I pray. Lord, help us to respond in this moment. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can